Uh, I tell you, I've had I've had some experiences with Discord, man. I'm not gonna lie, man. Oh yeah, dude. Oh yeah, I had to nuke mine. I had to nuke that shit. Like uh, the kind of people who were just like showing up in my Discord were just like, like the almost the worst kind of human beings. Like it, it's like it's weird that Discord allows you to get close to people, right? And then you yeah. get close to them and you get to be their friends, and then they start like posting like pictures of black people being lynched in your fucking discord and you're just like dude get the fuck out of here jesus that's, <laughs> like, that's pretty intense like, wow who are you and what did you do with the person that was cool <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah i was looking for your discord actually because uh, there are a few links here and there from like old channels and stuff and i tried clicking on them and it didn't work anymore i was like oh, i wonder oh, yeah. what happened to at Discord, but all I d- all I did one day was post a picture of like an atomic bomb going off and said "See you later, guys," <laughs> and then deleted it. Too far. <laughs> Good. And then I just like invited a bunch of like people who are actually like friends from the channel back onto the channel. It was it was just really strange. Like, it, dude, the, the reason I do not have politics on my channel anymore hmm. is just because people cannot handle it just mentally can't handle the idea of someone that they like thinking differently from them it's just so it's such a bizarre thing yeah it's i haven't been like a big twitter person myself until kind of recently as i started doing more of this but uh you kind of really see the cesspool online of people not being able to have a conversation like a normal human decent conversation and oh, it's, it's bad. Yeah. It can be bad. Um, well, are we recording, by the way? <laughs> I have to record. Yeah. Okay. That's all right. Because <laughs> yeah. we already started off on a really good discussion. <laughs> I wasn't sure if we were capturing it. Oh, yeah. We got it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I it's it's annoying to me because I, I like to talk to people and hear their opinions. Mm. And I want to hear everything about them and why they think the way they think and everything. But the minute you start telling them what you think, it's almost like, oh, you can't think that way. I've got to fix you. And it's like <laughs> like an abusive relationship. Yeah. Let me educate I can, you. I can, yeah, I can fix him. He'll he'll be better. I'll just give him a year. He'll I'll fix him. He'll get better. It's like, no. Uh, the, the discords that I'm a part of are pretty fair. I think they're a lot smaller. So I don't know how big in scope yours was, like, you know, how busy it was. Maybe that's when it becomes a bit out of hand. Um, the smaller ones, I find, It was a couple hundred good. people. It was about, like, two or three hundred people, I think. Okay, that's, that's kind of a shame. I thought by then it would still be pretty uh, pretty tame. <laughs> but <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know what they say. Uh, fifty. It's like 51% of our population are a bunch of assholes. So, you know... You don't, have, you don't have to get that many people into one place before you find an asshole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The specialized discords, I quite enjoy a lot. Um, there's two that I'm kind of involved in. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Oni Black Mage. Uh, he does some pretty good mm-hmm. videos. He, just like, he, he calls them recapitations where he'll break down the story um, of, of a game into like just really condensed into like 20 minutes if he can um, with the main story beats. And all the people in there are really nice and... Uh, I'm a part of a Discord for a Dreamcast uh, in- enthusiast, I would say. I just, I like the Dreamcast. Um, and I joined that one. Mm. And there's a podcast of people, uh, some people from the UK who do a podcast about the Dreamcast. And uh, um, I bought one of their books. Um, they, they did this thing called Dreamcast Year One. And they're making like these small books for each year the Dreamcast was out. And like the main games of that and the developments of the console, which is really cool. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I had a dream. I I bought a Dreamcast instead of paying my rent one year, <laughs> and uh, <Yeah. laughs> 
Big mistake. Yeah. Yeah, I regret that decision. <laughs> <It's>, it, <laughs> I, st- I still have one, actually. My friend, my friend is like a collector of old consoles. Um, Crazy Geezer, I think his channel name is. He, he's he's small right now, mm. but um, he's still trying to figure out what he wants to do. But uh, he collects like all the old ones, and he had like two Dreamcasts just like sitting around. I was like. Uh, yeah, sure, I'll take one. Damn. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll, I'll just ship it over to you. Wow. I was like, do you have any Saturns? <laughs> yeah. How, how many Sega Saturns do you have? <laughs> I'll take all of yeah. them. PlayStation 5 pre-orders, you got two down, I'll take one. <laughs> well, dude, I mean, have you ever seen, like, how much a Sega Saturn goes for right now? Uh, I haven't, uh, I'm not quite sure they're, they're worth, actually. Yeah, it's a little insane. They're worth a lot of money. I hope it's not the one <laughs> Especially, that- like... Especially like the old games, like uh, what is it, Shining Force? Like that's like one of my main line. Like I'll shoot that right into my veins. I love Shining Force. <laughs> and uh, the third one that they released for Sega Saturn is so rare now at this point. I think it goes for like three or four hundred dollars. Damn. Yeah. Pretty nice. Uh, I sold most of my gaming consoles a couple of years back. Um, I was kind of moving out the house. I was going abroad for a bit, getting some money together. And I think we had some old Sega consoles. I don't think it was a Saturn. It was one of the other ones. Uh, we had a, I think it was a Sega CD, maybe. Oh, yeah, the Sega CD. Um, the, the the glorified FMV player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never really played it. It was more my brother's thing, because uh, he's a bit older than I am, and that was more his thing. So I think it was a Saturn. Um, but the one yeah. console we couldn't sell was the Dreamcast, and it was... And me and my brother didn't even talk about it. We just both instinctively didn't want to sell that one console. We sold the Sega CD. We sold the Game Gear. We sold the N64. We sold PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, all that stuff. But the Dreamcast, for some reason, we just couldn't part ways with it. And um, I have no idea why. Too many good games. Too many good games. Yeah, I went back and uh, downloaded. I got an emulator for Power Stone uh, to, to give a play of that one. Don't know if you've ever played the Power Stone. Oh, man. I love Power Stone, man. They released like four of them. <laughs> Did they? I thought they released two. Oh, Oh yeah, no, no, they really? released some later ones. I think on like PlayStation Two or something. What? Yeah. That I had no idea. Yeah, something like that. I remember seeing like Power Stone Four, and it was just ridiculous looking. Yeah, I had no idea that was a thing. I'll have to get that to Google and find out. Um, but when I started playing it, it was a blast in the past, and it was amazing. But I hadn't, I forgot how bad the English uh, translation was. Like they only translated <laughs> the like, the menus and stuff, and the narrator. And it, the English just doesn't make sense. It was directly from Japanese or something. <laughs> it sounds really dumb. Um, well, a lot of those old Japanese games have like, just really jank translations. They do. And another reason why I remember that game is it was the game that I was playing when 9-11 happened. And I remember Ooh. it uh, very distinctively because I was actually quite young at the time. I would have been um, seven years old. And I felt more annoyed that my grandpa wanted to use the television to watch the news. Because <laughs> I was on the final <laughs> bus. So I was like, can you just wait 10 minutes? <laughs> But. Where were you when it was nine eleven? I was playing video games. Yeah, I was asleep. Oh, <laughs> I was I was asleep, and then I woke up and I saw a plane hit a building, and I broke out in a cold sweat because I was like, "Oh fuck, yeah, shit. I'm gonna get deployed." <laughs> shit, because here I was thinking I was gonna get free college. And oh no, no. no. Uh, so, uh, is that when you were part deployed. of the army that one year stint when you were? I was in. I was in for four years. Oh, four years. Oh, right. Okay. I, I had a question about yeah. that actually because I was watching one of your videos. Was it was it nineteen when you you joined the army? Yeah, I was nineteen, and I think I got out when I was twenty one or twenty two. I know I didn't finish. Okay. Because <laughs> I was I was sort of an asshole as a kid, uh, especially as a young twenty year old. 
And I think I think it went down something like this. I tore off my unit patch and threw it at my commanding officer and told him to go fuck himself. Oh, so and they didn't left. invite you back? <laughs> yeah, they, they were like, you know what? We're not going to have any more of that. You can. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, why was that? What, what caused that after those four years for you to uh, throw your badge at your commander? Well, okay, so here, here's the situation. My unit commander mm-hmm. was also my math teacher when I was in high school. <laughs> so this guy did not like me wow. <laughs> whatsoever. And he had every right to because I was an asshole. Okay. I mean, if you're know, if you an asshole kid, you're bound to cause some problems. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, he was, he hadn't, he was having none of my shit. And then he, uh, demoted me at one point because I got a, I got a, a, a ticket driving one of the, um, uh, four tons. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty much the end of that. They, uh, they <laughs> demoted me and I was like, fuck this place. I'm out of here. I'm better than this, man. You don't appreciate how good I am. <laughs> no, I'm just like, oh, fuck this. I'm out. But it was funny. It's like when you're in the National Guard, you know, it's different from the Army because when you're in the Army, everything's tight. Everything is scheduled. And there's still problems, of course, mm-hmm. in regular Army. But whatever problems the regular Army has, the National Guard has it about 10 times worse. Okay. Um. Like when I was in, I, I did this, uh, I was a 31 Romeo and it was communications, right? So we had these big ass communication shelters that we would drive out on Humvees and, uh, we'd set up these big antennas that would shoot signal line of sight to each other. And we had trunk encryption devices and patch panels. It's all like technology from the seventies. So it's all like highly, uh, technical and, and rote memorization is a very good skill to have. Okay. Now. I was very good at that job, and um, we didn't train – like, we didn't go out on training missions to, like, practice any of this stuff for months at a time. So we might go out maybe once or twice a year to get a signal shot in. Well, of course, if you do that, nobody in your unit's going to remember their fucking job. No. <laughs> so <laughs> we're over at Fort Dix in New Jersey. I'm on one side of Fort Dix. And everybody else is on the other side of Fort Dix. And we're not supposed to, like, you know, get on our cell phone and call each other and be like, hey, your shit's fucked up. <laughs> because you're not going to be doing that in, in the field. No. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm looking at my uh, battle buddy and I'm like, bro, these motherfuckers got this shit in loop back. So what that means is you shoot a signal to them and it just sits in their shelter. Okay. It never goes anywhere. So I'm like, I'm going to have to get in the fucking Humvee and drive all the way to fuck over there. So I drove all the way to fuck over there, knocked on their door. They opened it up. I didn't say shit. I just walked in, took their shit out of loop back out of their patch panel and walked back to my Humvee and left without explanation <laughs> and then called them on the, on the phone. And they were like, hello. And I was like, are you hearing me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Bye. Click. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's the kind of guy I was at, like, 22. I was just like, I am so fucking over all of this shit. (laughs) (laughs) And how long is a a stint in the army for you to finish, as it were? Like, um, I'm not quite familiar with how the army works myself. Uh, So, National Guard's, like, six years, and then you have two years of inactive duty, which is just another word for them saying, we can call you up at any time and tell you to get your shit ready and and you're deploying. Um, So, I still had to do the inactive, even though I wasn't technically in the army anymore 
And um, but for regular army, it's like two years, maybe two years, four years, depending on the contract you sign and the bonus you get. Okay. And what was the the catalyst to join the army in the first place? I needed money. <laughs> <laughs> I just needed money. Uh, I wanted to go to school, and uh, I was going to go for an art degree, and yeah, that didn't work out. And it, they, they looked at my Goku art and my anime, and they were like, "This isn't good enough." <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. What did your commanding officer think of your anime? Was he a fan? Uh, he wasn't a fan of anything no. I did. <laughs> Mm-mm. I had a uh, a teacher at school who a PE teacher, a uh, physical education teacher, sports. I don't know what you say in America, and um, he used to be part of the army, but he was a chef. And he, he kept banging on about how like he was, uh, you know on the front lines and stuff he was in the kitchen <laughs> I don't know if it's the same thing I'm probably sure he had to do basic training and stuff but uh, yeah yeah yeah. no he, he was on the front lines already yeah. <laughs> he was preventing people from getting a second serving of eggs <laughs> yes and uh, with with your time in the military uh, you, you did you mentioned it in one of your videos and one of the points you made about it was you said you noticed yourself changing in lots of small ways over your time there uh, what did you specifically notice oh, about yeah. yourself changing in the in that time you know when you were a rambunctious 19 to 21 year old well first of all i mean they the whole point okay so i'll tell you the whole point for me going in mm-hmm. like the whole point was for me to just kind of find myself because at that time i was just all over the fucking place i mean mm. i was like breaking into houses and cars and i was bad oh, shit really well like, damn oh yeah yeah and then one day i just kind of like i stopped for a minute and i i read this book called siddhartha i don't know if you've ever read it no i haven't heard of that one um it's it's about the buddha it's a german writer i think I'm probably I probably don't remember his name, so I'm not gonna say it. Okay. Just look up Siddhartha. <laughs> um, it's uh it's about the Buddha and it's about his journey from being like a prince to being a a ferry boat yes. uh, person <laughs> and uh, sitting under the tree and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I and I got it in my head that if I was going to really find out who I was, because I came from a really fucked up upbringing like i had an abusive stepfather who used to like put me and my mother through walls and shit and mm. he ended up going to prison for beating a woman almost to death mm-hmm. his name is dennis singleton you can actually look him up he he almost uh beat a hooker to death in a hotel fucking crazy maniac and he died in prison and um i didn't really know who i was because when you go through traumatic experiences you don't really know who you are you're you're somebody else but you're not who you're meant to be mm-hmm you're kind of in a state of uh, limbo, really, personality limbo. And some people live their whole lives in that personality limbo and don't know who the hell they are because, you know, who they were has been informed by trauma. Yeah. So I said, you know what would be good <laughs> is to have the military strip everything away from me that I think is me and then teach me how to be somebody else. So I went in and um, my mom was my recruiter and uh, the guy who was swearing me in, they, they set you aside and they go, okay, so, you know, what boot camp do you want to go to? Now, maybe other people didn't have this choice. Maybe they just went to wherever they, the hell they went. But my mom was my recruiter, so I had my choice of boot camps. 
normally that means you go to like Fort Jordan or Jackson or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Um, the one where you can like hold up a stress card and say, I'm stressed out. I want to go to the doctor. Okay. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was like, well, what's the hardest boot camp that you got? And they were like, Fort Benning. I said, that's what I want. And they sent me to Fort Benning, which is uh, ranger training, um, where they do all the ranger training and shit. And uh, it was rough. Yeah. It was real rough. Like we, when we got there, you get this a lot in in processing. So when you're in in processing, it's like the stage before boot camp, and the stage before boot camp is them trying to figure out if you're going to be able to hack it. Yeah. So that they leave you there intentionally for like 18 days with nothing to do, and people were like trying to fucking kill themselves. And wow. It's really Jeez. an it's. It's really an interesting character study because you get guys that are going there and they act all tough and shit and then they try to swallow a bill of ty- a bottle of fucking Tylenol, not knowing that's not going to kill you, number one. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's just going to make your stomach hurt a lot. Okay. And um, you know, we were having people like dropping left and right. And the uh, facilities that we were in had uh, sewage backing up into the barracks. So we just like had to live with the smell of piss and shit every day. And we did that for 18 days. And then at the end of it, you're supposed to take a physical fitness test and you're, and they don't let you work out until the physical fitness test because they don't want you to drop dead in the middle of the barracks and then, you know, be responsible for it because you're not officially a soldier yet. And the reason why they do all that is because once you sign the papers. Once you get in processed and you start your first day in boot camp, you have signed away every one of your rights as a citizen. Every one of them. You cannot sue the military. You cannot do shit. Mm-hmm. So that's why they wait because they don't want you to drop dead and then sue. Um, or your parents sue. <laughs> yeah. You can't sue. You're dead. <laughs> um so in processing is like one thing you go there, you basically get the gist. Somebody shoots you in the ass with a needle and then you're <laughs> off to uh, the next adventure. So <clears throat> we're on the bus. We got our rucksacks, right? Rucksacks yeah. are like the, the backpacks and like 80 pounds worth of our shit that we brought with us inside of um, rucksacks, inside of bags. And we're standing on the bus cause you can't really sit down. But I was also told don't sit down by somebody they were like whatever you do don't be sitting down when the drill sergeant comes on the bus i had the inside track you know yeah yeah, yeah. and uh drill sergeant comes on drill sergeant white i'll never forget him he's this little short white dude which is jacked just no neck <laughs> you know just tiny little dude but yeah. no neck and huge shoulders and he goes get the fuck off my bus get the fuck off my bus and he starts grabbing dudes and the bus parked in front of a tree on purpose because he was taking people and throwing them into the tree (laughs) and then they would fall down with their rucksacks on and just like turtle for like five good minutes while this you know huge jacked white dude is like screaming over get up get up get the fuck off the ground it was stressful man and then uh you know you do all your boot camp stuff and then you get out and then you're just like oh so this is just normal it's just like a normal job, except they piss test you and you could go to prison <laughs> if you violate the wrong rule. And they're, uh, the, the most obscure rule that people don't know about 
which is really bizarre, mm. is that in the UCMJ, it's illegal to have sex in any other position but missionary. <laughs> no way. No, that's... Oh, I, I swear to God. Everything else is considered sodomy, and you can go to, you can, you can get put in a brig for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's written down somewhere, like on the paper you signed? It's, no, it's just in the uh, Uniform Code of Military Justice. That is incredible. That's insane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, I joined, and, and I was kind of a ghost yeah. the entire time. None of the drill sergeants knew my name, which was great. And, can't call uh, you out, I, I suppose. Got... What's that? They can't call you out on something if the, you know, uh, Jenkins, do me 500 push-ups. They don't know your name, so <laughs> skip that. Right, you. right, no. Yeah, no, I just, I kind of just ghosted by, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, when my mom showed up in her fucking dress blues, they were like, who the fuck is this? And they <laughs> came over <laughs> and they were like, who are you, Private? I don't remember you ever being here. <laughs> I was like, that's because I was very good. I was a very nice boy. I did not make any trouble. Except at the very end when you throw your badge at the drill sergeant. Well, yeah, no, it's, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, so when you kind of started for the army, um, the picture I'm kind of painting, you know, with the story of the Buddha itself is they were kind of contained in these walls and they had everything they needed and everything they wanted and they didn't see the outside world because of that. But kind of your perspective on that was um, you were kind of kept in these walls, but for the wrong reasons and you wanted to, to get out into the real world to see, see for what it really was. Well, yeah. yeah. I wanted to travel. I wanted to be in a, a different state, maybe a different country. I wanted to, for once, be responsible for being who I am, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's like you give up responsibility for a little while to a drill sergeant to tell you who you are. And then the reaction to that is to revolt against who they made you into and become your own person. But that process takes a really long time when you don't realize that you've been sort of brainwashed. Mm -hmm. Like, I've been an atheist probably my whole life, except for the two or three years when I was in the military. Well, that's because, powerful stuff. Well, because they... So, they would say things like, okay, this weekend uh, there's uh, church services at this time and this time... And just so happened to be at the same time, they'd say, uh, yeah, we also have extra duty. So you guys are going to be out digging ditches and scrubbing the floors. So you can guess what the hell I was doing. Oh, yeah. On the weekends. I was at church. <laughs> and your your mind is so malleable at that time because you're used to just accepting at this point what people are telling you because you have to. Um. You know, because this isn't like an environment where you can ask questions. No, no. Right. So your brain is a little more malleable at that point and a little more accepting of things. And um, I started to find myself buying into things I wouldn't previously buy into. Um, hence the whole hyper-normalization uh, video that you were referencing. It's like, that's kind of what happened to me. So... Once I sort of like unfucked my brain, unpacked everything and said, okay, like what belongs in my brain and what doesn't, um, I started realizing that that's kind of the way of a lot of things like school. Um, a lot of the things we do here in the States is kind of based on that philosophy of e acceptance either through apathy or acceptance through drilling. 
just drilling it into your head or the general apathy of your average working man, you know, like if you're working 60, 70 hours a week, you don't have time to sit around and think about how you feel. No, it's not, <laughs> not much thing. time to contemplate. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's just, that's just kind of how I feel about the general discourse with politics and everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's kind of how I came out of the military. And then when you came out of the military, uh, what did you do from then moving forward? So you've kind of uh, tried to find out who you are in a bit more ways and you realize there are these things about me that uh, I don't agree with or have been drilled into me. What did you take from that and where did you go moving forward? Well, I'll tell you this. I never stayed in one place for too long. I kind of moved around a lot. I, um, I've driven across country eight times. So like from one end of the country to the other end of the country. Good Lord. And I've done it enough so that I could see every state on the way. And my destination was always California or it was always Delaware, you know? And, um, eventually I, it was, it was somewhere around 2012. I would say 2010 to 2014 was like a period of like really big emotional growth for me. Mm -hmm. Um, because I went through a phase of unemployment because the recession of 2012 hit me really hard. Oh yeah. And, uh, with all this time on my hands, I started doing a lot more training. Um, I was into boxing previous to that, but I started saying like, what if I just give a go at training people in boxing? And I found this, um, nice little private gym that was in a, in a um, one of those rental garages, you know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a storage facility. Yeah, yeah. And they had a boxing ring in there and they had a uh, heavy bags and all that stuff. And um, went in there, met a lot of really great people, started training people, and then next thing I know, I'm joining like kung fu groups, and then we're doing stunts, and then I get into the stunt world, and I'm showing up at like these parties. We used to have these parties where you'd be like, uh, all day today, we're going to be barbecuing, drinking, and doing wire pools. And wire pools are like one guy's in a tree with a wire and a pulley. And another person's tied up to a, a wire vest and they're, you know, jumping up in the air or they're doing like kicks or um, like I used to do this thing where you wrap the wire around your body. Okay. And when somebody jumps, you spin out of it like a corkscrew. Oh, okay. And then you land, then you land like a, you know, superhero or whatever. And it was basically a way for us to show what we could do to uh, coordinators, like stunt coordinators who were recruiting for movies in L.A. And then we do another one like a High Falls at Witherall's house down in um, – oh God, where did he live? I forget. But anyway, he had like this horse farm because I think he used to do horse stunts and High Falls. And he had a big High Fall tower. It was like a 40-foot High Fall tower mm-hmm. in his backyard. And we used to go there and just like – do high falls all day and then uh we'd all go to match gym and do um you know acrobatics and kicks and stuff and i just got really into that community uh and tried to make a go at doing that for a living but uh, that was a really big period for me because i met a lot of people who were very zen because those kind of people are always very centered and focused and kind of zen and um yeah it kind of calmed me a bit 
Okay, you know? that's cool. And so, did you get a, a job as a stuntman from you? You know, jumping from trees in a park at a barbecue. Did it ever lead anywhere for you? <laughs> I got a few jobs here and there. Yeah. Um, never enough to pay the bills. Never enough to pay the bills. Uh, some extra work here and there, which just means you do like fight choreography in the background of movies. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Anything not- <laughs> like uh, noteworthy that uh, I may recognize? Um, let's see. Not really. No, just a bunch of like uh, independent films and stuff. Okay. Um, but I was pretty close. I would say I was pretty close to it because. I started making friends with, like, so, for instance, I can't remember his name now, but it was Tony something. Okay. And of course, I'm not going to remember <laughs> it his actually was name, Tony it was, something. <laughs> it, yeah, it was Tony something. <laughs> um, and he, he had this uh, house in Topanga Canyon, and he used to do fight choreography there, but, like, traditional Western-style fight choreography. And he invited us back. He was just like, yeah, come every weekend. Come every weekend, and you can get work. But um, what ended up happening is we just went broke. We had to leave. And I ended up going to Minnesota and that really sucked because that felt like that was my opportunity. But eh, you know how it is. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've, I've done a lot of shit. I've done photography. I've done stunt work. I've, I've done just about everything that I've ever desired to do, mm-hmm. which has kind of led me to where I am today, which is just like now I'm doing what I actually want to do and I'm making money doing it. And that's, that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. So primarily writing. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. previous to that, it was just, I'm doing this shit for a paycheck and that's it. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, I'm doing it because I like it and I get paid. Yay. <laughs> Living the dream. And you used to work at EA, is that right? Yeah. I, I worked there for about four years almost. And what were you doing at EA? Uh nothing important. Oh. <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of why I left. <laughs> I... So my job was I was a, a UX, which is user experience lab technician. Okay. And I maintained the computer lab, which we use to do tests with participants. So uh, any game that has come out from EA in the last five or six years has gone through some form of user experience testing where people come in and go, I didn't like the way that she jumps. It feels awkward. <laughs> yes. And the, they the give their, yeah. Yes, yes. They give their somewhat useless uh, opinions. And then their researchers have to interpret what that means, right? Like, what the, what does that actually mean? Like, what system do they actually have a problem with? Oh, I see. And, okay, um, so they're really vague about their points, and you have to say, okay, this is what it means in terms of the controls and the system itself. Well, well yeah. No, I mean, not to mention, like... <laughs> I don't want to have a whole bunch of people messaging me that I'm an asshole, but the guy from uh, Blizzard who said people don't know what they want, he's right. Oh, yeah? They don't. Yeah, half of them can't even form coherent fucking sentences. <laughs> like, it's it's really silly. Like, you'll sit there and you'll read some of these surveys and just be like, what the fuck was this dude trying to say? <laughs> you can't make heads or tails of it. So, yeah, their job is basically interpreting the data and trying to figure out what it means. Mm-hmm. And I was like the computer janitor. <laughs> That's what I used to call myself, a computer janitor. So you were making sure all the systems were working, uh, you know, uh, up to spec and doing the jobs they have to do. Yeah, yeah. And I never really felt at home in EA. No? Um, I felt like I was a crotchety old man 
working around a bunch of 20-year-olds. And I'm just like, <laughs> Nobody's happy here. They're not happy. I'm not happy. Why am I here? Well, that's pretty cool, you know, saying you get to, to work at EA. Like, I imagine lots of gamers, you know, in a general sense, be like, oh, you work for a gaming company. That's so cool. And, uh, and I suppose you can kind of say that. Uh, you know what I used to get? Oh, God, you work for EA? I'm sorry. Oh, good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I used to get mostly. And uh, and after you get about like the hundredth person going, oh, God, you work for EA, huh? Mm. What is it like to work for the devil? Yes. After you hear that for the hundredth time, you just want to start smacking people. Yeah. <laughs> there's actually quite a lot of gaming companies where I live in uh, I live in Montreal in Canada right now um, and there's oh, U- nice. Ubisoft I'm about Montreal. to be your neighbor here pretty soon I think are you moving it to Canada? I might be yeah I might be moving to British Columbia actually oh uh, okay quite quite far neighbors <laughs> well yeah <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I've heard it's nice but uh <clears throat> yeah uh, but uh, we saw this house it was like $54,000 or something like US and I, what? and I looked at it and I was like that's a four bedroom two story house with 20 foot ceilings in the middle of the woods overlooking a lake god hmm I think I want to move to that place um, <laughs> that like, is insane yeah we're like nutting our pants to get the hell out of here cause uh, you know I I'm married to a Puerto Rican broad. Yes. And uh, her kids are all Puerto Rican. And we're like, we need to get the fuck out of this crazy place. Because <laughs> yes. we don't know if a cop's going to pull over our kid when he gets old and fucking shoot him. Mm. <laughs> so it's a legitimate concern. <laughs> like, yeah. We're, we're, looking to, we're looking to Toronto and being, or um, we're looking to Canada being like, uh, can we get asylum? <laughs> oh, really? That's the, the, the thing you're going for? Getting asylum? We we're, Well, they might qualify for it. I'll have to get some kind of like work visa or something but okay yes uh um yeah they, they can be quite strict with their visas in canada from my experience because i'm here on a work visa myself um, um i imagine especially strict with the u.s people just going mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, don't know. Maybe, I don't know if we yeah. want you people here <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i actually find it quite interesting um we, we were gonna have this uh this conversation uh, last week but um uh on the time you rescued a kitten i think wasn't it you uh found a kitten on the way yeah home? Yeah, that little... No, he was actually in the engine block of my car. He was, like, right underneath of it. Or she, I should say. Oh. This is, like, right underneath of us. We were trying to get her out so that we couldn't use the fucking car. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, without, like, you know, grinding up a kitten into it. Oh, God. And uh, we got her out, and then I was like, well, now it needs shots. (laughs) So we went to the vet, and we did that all day. And then we brought it back home, and I was like, okay, now we need to give it medicine. And then by the time I realized, like, what time it was, I was like, oh, shit, I was supposed to do an interview today. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's perfectly fine. What I found quite funny was uh, you said, oh, sorry, you know, can't make it today of rescuing this kitten. And then you said, I can't do tomorrow, I'm getting married, but the day after's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah. pretty sure, like, you know, a wedding, <laughs> you probably take a couple days off, not just the no, one. No, no, we were just, we were gonna just we just went to the building you know the building where it gets done and we sign the papers and move on with our day oh that didn't make me laugh oh it is we'll do it next week you and enjoy enjoy your wedding day yeah and then no we uh we we definitely weren't like she wants to do a ceremony at some point and i'm like okay that's fine we can waste our money yes um i'm not wasting any money you got your papers be happy with it lass (laughs) you got what you want what else do you need from me you're in the well for god's sake yeah Yeah. love (laughs) 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, we, yeah, it's been an eventful week. It has, and uh, other... and I had to put out a video. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, <laughs> postpone the wedding. Got to get the video. Out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's, I think it's also quite eventful as well because um, when I do these interviews, these chats, I like to get the statistics of uh, the the YouTubers and present them at the very start, which we kind of skipped over because it's fine. But uh, they've they've ticked up since we last spoke. Um, before I last week when I got this information uh, at hand, uh, you had ninety five point eight thousand subscribers on YouTube, and you were just below seven million views. But now that I looked at it earlier, you're at seventy. You're over seventy two thousand subscribers on YouTube, and you've ticked over to seven point two million uh, views, which is a fantastic achievement if I do say so myself. Would you say seventy two thousand? Sorry, seven point two million. Oh, sorry. Oh, 7.2 million. Yeah, 7.2 million views, sorry. And uh, 97.2 right. thousand subscribers. I was about to like break out in a cold sweat and shit. Like, oh my God, oh my God, how did I lose 20,000 subscribers? <laughs> what the fuck happened? No, no, you're getting very close to the 100K. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm getting close to whatever the button they send out or whatever. Yeah, they didn't send me one when I got to 100. I think it must have got lost somewhere. Oh, yeah? But yeah, I got to I got to do it if it's like, uh, you know... um. What's, what's the lowest form of metal you can buy? You got gold, silver, bronze. I don't know what's the... Tin. The, yeah, tin, yeah. <laughs> a tin badge. <laughs> yeah, no, I never got mine. <laughs> yeah, when I was um, when I was just starting, I, I think the, f- the first video I did, like legitimately did, was probably the Dishonored one. And then I didn't do anything for months. And then I put out the, uh, the Morrowind video. Mm. Morrowind versus Skyrim, I think. And... I think I had 20 subscribers at the time. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, cool. I got two more subscribers. Double digits. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and then one day I put out the uh, the hypernormalization video and I and I came into work and it was just like any other day. And I, I go on my YouTube and I think at that point I had like maybe 100 subscribers. Mm-hmm. And then I, I sat down and it said 1,700. And I was like, what the f- I was like, that's got to be an error. Something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Something's wrong. And then I, I went to my analytics and I was like, oh, shit, what's happening? I started like <laughs> having like a mini panic attack because I was like, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> what does this mean? And do, do you know what caused that uh, sudden rocket upwards? Was it uh, like I someone shared on Reddit or something? Or I can't tell you, man. That's the thing about YouTube. They give you enough information to be stupid. But they don't yes. give you enough information to actually like know what you're doing. At least that's how I feel when I interpret the data. I'm just like, like I looked at it and I was like, okay, yeah. So I got, you know, five percent of my views from external sources. So yeah. that can't be it. So it was all from like YouTube suggesting the video and people clicking on it. Damn. And I was just, and I was just like, well, why? Yes. <laughs> like, what's why? Why did this happen? What's different? Yeah. And um, I have these growth periods where it's just like, oh, tons of tons of growth, but I have absolutely no idea why. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking at your uh, your statistics right now, you've had some trouble, not some troubles, but some interesting queries for your YouTube search algorithm. Uh, in particular, um, your traffic source for YouTube searches, you know, you had strategy, shadow run, strategy production, shadow run returns, how to suck your own dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how to suck your own dick. Apparently, <laughs> apparently uh, that is uh, 
That is a term that's searched enough that when people found me, one percent of them, one one percent of them came to see if I had a video on it. And I'm wondering so much so that that needs to be my April Fool's video: how to suck your own oh, dick. Oh God, and maybe it's because it it's strategy. Be. People looking for strategies on how to suck your own dick. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, like, do I put my foot on a table and then yeah. put my hands underneath my knees and pillow just somewhere? Yeah, just yeah, yank. What, <laughs> just pull harder. <laughs> well, I think I think that is the first step, obviously. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh <laughs> God. And then the fact that people are looking that up on YouTube is what cracks me up the most. Like, what are you hoping to find? Yeah, some some obscure video that hasn't been taken down yet. I mean, don't they know they can just obviously just there's advertisements everywhere on Pornhub. You can just find the answer for ten dollars. So yeah, I know. Apparently, there's a pill that can yeah, you know get your dick to like the point where it just lays on your chest. Exactly. It's, the answer's there. They just got to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, shit. At that point, if it's that big, you just have to bend over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Oh God. <laughs> Though I don't know how you support blood flow to your brain at that no, point. But no. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh God. And uh, looking back at your your videos you know we talked about the ones where the ones have kind of rocketed upwards with uh, loads of views which has been fantastic for you have there ever been any that you've noticed where you release them out of the wild and you thought oh i thought this one could have done a little bit better or maybe it had some negative reception you weren't expecting <laughs> yeah shadow run <laughs> really the one that just released well well, yeah, I, like I fully expected it to not do well. Actually, I mean, I I was just like, this is what patrons want, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get that for them. <laughs> they don't but, know what they want. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> I fully I fully understood that doing that video was gonna net me uh, no ad revenue that month, so I just kind of um, I just kind of expected it. But there, the the drug war video has always disappointed me, and and the after war video really seriously disappoints me because. Those were the two videos that I wanted to take off. Mm, I mm. have no stock in that. Like, there's no ads on the After War video. I just want that video to take off because I want people to see the shit that's going on with veterans right now. But uh, unfortunately, I guess if 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 it maybe had a cat in the thumbnail, maybe yes. people would have clicked on it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what happens to cats after war? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Maybe then people would have clicked on it, but that really disappointed me. I, I thought it was going to do a lot better, but um, I guess that's why veterans get fucked over the way that they do because people just don't give a shit. No, they're not. They're not. They, they don't care yeah. about the information that's out there. And genuinely, like those videos that you did about the the more journalistic, political side you were doing for your channel, I, I genuinely find them the most interesting. They were absolutely fabulous. Um, they're the ones well, I was I very much that. engrossed in. Um, and you know, I didn't even—I had no idea about the, the after-war for for veterans, the, the genuine issue that was going on with the amount of suicides and people not getting legs, you know, and the, the government trying to refuse to pay money out to them. I had no idea until I watched your video that this was such a big issue. Yeah, and that's what—that's what hurts me so much about it. I mean, to think that that video only got like seven thousand views, and uh, the people who likely watched it already knew it was a problem. You know, like that's—that's that's the thing that hurts me the most about it because it—it it could have been much better but thank god jimmy fallon gets the fucking trend every month yes Good fucking you know god what could we, what would we do without fucking jimmy fallon i know yeah and uh, john oliver thank god he's he yeah. can present the news to us in a comical way yeah thank god we can get half the news <laughs> our comedians um, give us the news that's, that's kind of what it branches out to our politicians give us the comedy our comedians yeah, give us the and, news 
And they all have their own corporate overlords of which they're fucking bound to. So it's, you know, you're getting half of the information, but at least you get to laugh while you're watching it, right? Yes. And I've, and I've thought about that for a while um, because all those journal, all the more journalistic stuff that I, are you hearing that, by the way? Uh, no, I'm good. Okay. Because <laughs> I have fucking twitch alarms going off in the background and I don't know where they're coming from. Uh, fucking like, <laughs> even if OBS doesn't have a, the alert box up, it just plays in it. Oh. It doesn't matter. Oh, well. Yeah. No, cool. you're all good. Nice. Great feature. Uh, <laughs> and I, the thing, the thing that I've, I've thought about is, um, like with the more journalistic stuff that I've done in the past, I've always thought about like, well, what if I just try to be funny? Like, what if I just try to be funny with this stuff? But God, I tackle shit that's not funny. No, it's just you know not, I mean? like, yeah. How do I be funny about, like, this type of shit? Uh, I can't. Uh, I don't think you should be. I don't pos- yeah, I don't possess the ability to make light of the kind of shit I'm talking about. Like, the, the drug war video for me is, like, I would say probably my favorite video that I've ever done. Mm. And... I liked the way that people reacted to it. I was pleasantly surprised because it wasn't, it wasn't some like bleeding heart memoir or anything, but it was from the perspective of, I don't think half of America, the the half that wants to keep these people out of America knows exactly what the fuck's going on Mm. and Mm. why it's going on. Yes. And, telling it through the lens of prohibition and that we're responsible for it, it kind of puts it in a different perspective. Yeah. It makes it more relatable you know. in a way that, uh, this is what, you know, what happened and how it relates to us. Yeah. And it's not just, uh, it's not just the statistic. It's like, you know, actual people, people are suffering because of our policies on drugs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's something to think about, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I would say that those those type of videos are the ones that are always the most disappointing because not only do they take the most amount of time to put together by oh fucking wide margin. Oh yeah. Like I can never I can never do those videos every two weeks. It just is not possible. It takes me six months to do those. Oh dear. I was, I was gonna ask, is there a part two to After War uh, coming out soon? Boy. Um so I'm holding off on doing anything with it right now. I need a much bigger audience before I do something like that because I don't want it to get buried again. Mm-hmm. So is that holding you off know? on just after war or that the general, uh, more journalistic side of things is just going to be on hold for a little while? It's going to be on hold until the audience gets a lot bigger. That way I know it's not going to get buried. Because uh, at the time when I was doing those videos, I was having a real hell of a time with YouTube. Mm-hmm. Like I was getting... 10,000 views on videos that I was just like certain that they would do better than that. But yeah, like the, the YouTube algorithm just didn't favor me that month or that year. No. <laughs> it was like an entire year of that actually. Yeah. And I, and I had, I had thought about just like giving up quite a bit because you know, you get, it's it, the problem is, is that one year when you're having that problem with YouTube, who do you turn to to figure it out? Hmm. You know, like, oh, you go to YouTube creators and you go to their page and, and you watch their videos and they just tell you general shit you already know. Add tags for more views. 
that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Meta tags. (laughs) Make content that people actually want to see. No shit, really? Wow. Huh? Goddamn. Here I was making content I thought nobody wanted to see. I thought that was the way to success. You know how to suck your own dick, apparently, is the next big thing. I know. Yes. (laughs) Apparently, there's a market for it. So we're going to. That's next on the list. Oh, God. And uh, there was some videos you released. um, This is a a few years back now. So, uh, you know, not trying to put you on the spot or anything. But uh, you did a series Mm -hmm. of vlogs, um, about three or four episodes. And on the last vlog, you said you were having a bit of a a rough time. uh, Some negative criticism had, had, uh, you know, been affecting you quite badly. Um, Were you able to get out of that? that rut quite strongly and what was your how did your approach change in any way so that doesn't affect you as much anymore well i've always found that it's not necessarily negative criticism that is what's causing you to feel shitty it's usually something else mm-hmm. and that was the case with me it was like and um four years ago i got out of a 15 year relationship well wow. and uh i had to start dating again and let me tell you the dating pool in florida hmm, it's mm. uh you ever seen those you ever seen um the movies where like zombies are like crawling out of the ocean <laughs> right that's yes. that's the dating pool that's the dating pool in florida okay. it's just zombies um it's just yeah <laughs> it's the worst and i've had a lot of uh really fucked up relationships in that point and i was just kind of going through a lot of other a lot of other tertiary shit mm. and then i would spend you know 40 to 60 hours on a video upload it and get nothing and I was just like, you know, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. So, and then after Fallout 76, man, after the, God, the pain of playing that fucking game. Oh, dear. Like that, I think that's the vlog you're talking about, right? Yeah, Where, I think you said you, you you played it so much uh, that you, you were just kind of done. Like every, everything had cascaded down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was just like, okay, I think I'm done. And, and part of that is Bethesda's fault. Like yes, legitimately Bethesda's you. fault. They, the game they was so me. bad. <laughs> The, ga- the game was so bad that I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but you come back stronger. Uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, pfft, ironically on Bethesda's back, right? Because yes. the videos that <laughs> the videos that made the channel uh, take off were all Bethesda related. So <laughs> they giveth and they taketh yes. away. <laughs> How philosophical! Oh dear. Uh, um. <clears throat> And uh, looking back at some of your other videos as well, uh, your video about hypernormalization, we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. Uh, it was three years ago. Uh, do you think the themes that were discussed in terms of games are kind of even more normal today? And are there any other trends that you see right now that are becoming normalized that we aren't aware of? <clears throat> well, uh, it's a weird question. Um, because I'm currently playing The Last of Us 2, right? Okay. Which is a game that absolutely got raped by the community. Oh, God, it was insane. Absolutely insane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a script leaked, and then all of a sudden, it's going to be a bad game, and then it came out, and everybody's like, it's a bad game. And I'm playing it, and I'm like, I- I'm I'm only an hour in, so everybody leave me alone. Okay. I'm only an hour in, okay? But I know enough about it because everybody leaked the goddamn script. So you, you, the internet, you've ruined this fucking game for All me. of you. All of you. Because I, I can't now play it 
from the lens of I don't know what's going to happen. Because mm-hmm. I like to look at, I don't like to analyze a game until after I've played it. Yeah. Right. So I'm always, almost always caught off guard by surprise twists in a story, even if it's obvious, because I don't play games that way. But with this one, because I know that I know what happens to Joel. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. And, um, I know what happens in the beginning. I think I pretty much know what happens throughout the entire story now. Yeah. Because that one pivotal point is what I think proves the thesis of the story. Like, I think the thesis of the story is violence begets violence begets violence, and it's a never-ending cycle, and it just continues throughout. Mm -hmm. That's at least what I can gather, right? Um, But there's this trend in video games right now towards more cinematic style of gameplay yeah. and less agency and I hate that. And I've I've I think I've been talking about this for years that I hate it when the game takes control away from me. Mm-hmm. And uh I'm looking at uh video for Cyberpunk 2077 and I'm like, yeah, that's not for me. No. Um I'm looking at like footage for the Last of Us 2 and I'm like, eh, I'll play it. You know, yeah. <laughs> like it's like it was like I feel like even The Witcher Three was sort of responsible for this as well. Like this was a game that was fifty percent gameplay and fifty percent watching cutscenes. Yes, yes, there was and people and, peop- and and people think just because you pick the dialogue option that you're not in a cutscene, but you are. Oh yeah, you're watching you are. people. Yeah, you're watching people act out things that you, the player, could be doing. But you're not because you're you're watching it happen. I hate that. It's a video game. I should be doing these things. Mm. Um, and I've seen the opposite trend from places like Larian Studios where things that they could have scripted out and done through dialogue, they make you do yourself. Okay. Like, um, you know, getting that one quest object and... And doing the weird thing that you would see a character do in a cutscene, you do the weird thing. That's great. I love that shit. You make me think out of the box. You make me think about what I'm trying to do, what my goal is, and how do I get there. I love that. That's what a game's supposed to be. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. And I think we're, I think we're going the opposite direction, and I hate it. Yeah, I think that's also quite apparent uh, from your recent videos as well. That that's a trend you don't agree with because you make a story from the games to present in your videos like we're following this character this is what they think this is what they do which wouldn't work in like the last of us you can't do that can you <laughs> no <laughs> no i mean like basically it would be um not to call him out or anything don't take it the wrong way oh, yeah. it'd be like salt factory just like explaining to you the the series of events that happen in order yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, and to me, like I, I just can't get into that as a gamer because I like RPGs for a very specific reason. Mm-hmm. It's a different reason than I like shooters. Like my two favorite genres, shooters, RPGs. Mm-hmm. Right. I like RPGs because they let me explore a character. Here's a weird thing that I do: I write books, mm-hmm. right? But what I do is I will use a character's journey in a in a game as a way to inform who that character is in my book. Like just their actions kind of inform me as to the character themselves, like how they would react in a given situation and things like that. Yeah. 
And I'll do that in like D&D sessions. Like I, we just had a Pathfinder session where I created a character named Roland who's an inquisitor who doesn't speak. His whole order doesn't speak unless it, they're speaking to each other. Okay. And um, that was really interesting to role play. And it's going to be even interest, more interesting to write because I have to figure out how do I how do I write a character's dialogue who doesn't speak? You know. It should be very descriptive about their actions. The way their eyes move. <laughs> All right, yeah, like uh, Steinbeck, when he wrote The Pearl, like he had to figure out how to explain a very song-like language between two Native Americans. So he just used, like, the song of the waves explained how the, the sea was, you know, how, how rough or how calm the sea was. And that's very interesting to me. And games allow me to explore ideas that would normally only sit inside my head mm -hmm. and how often do you do writing uh outside of the context of your videos because i know you had a, a blog uh, a few years back i'm not sure if you still do that or if you're writing uh, fully fledged books on the side uh, how much writing would you say you do now well i would say for about a year while i was doing videos i was writing a short story a week oh wow that's pretty that's impressive yeah, so sometimes they would be like a 4,000-word story. Sometimes they'd be like 13,000-word stories. I was writing them every week. And it was because I was going to uh, live events and reading them live on stage. So I needed to have a new one every week. Um, so uh, not much lately because my whole entire day in life has been taken up by this channel. Yes. <laughs> but um, we're trying to get back to it. Um I was telling my girlfriend about this story idea Wife. I had, and she was like, you know, that, uh, sorry, <laughs> fuck, why do I keep saying that? <laughs> I'm so used to it. Oh, my God. I got to stop doing that. I'll remind you, don't uh, worry. I'll keep you out of trouble. Yeah, yeah, keep me from getting my throat slit in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. um, she, uh, I was telling her about it, and she was like, that sounds like a really good game. So I think we're going to try and make a game. Oh, really? That's where oh, I'm wow. gonna, okay. Yeah, I think that's where I'm going to transition to is just trying to make a, a game out of these ideas and how would you even start doing that are you are you a programmer in any way or do you know what to start or do you yeah. kind of you are okay yeah i have a, a, a pretty decent programming but i wouldn't call myself an engineer or anything but i also know a lot of engineers so i have a, a good pool of uh brain to yes. pull upon you know for things that i i don't know how to do myself yeah fort dicks you got all those 1970s uh <laughs> engineers uh, back there they can help you well you know i got ea engineers <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, who aren't allowed to work on their own stuff so hey hey <laughs> perfect give me a little uh head and give you a little heads up here i got this thing maybe you want to maybe you want to like tell me how to do it <laughs> it's about a guy who can't speak yeah <laughs> how do i how do i program that <laughs> yes well you can save money on uh, voice actors that's always a bonus yeah 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 <laughs> But yeah, that's that's pretty much I think the uh, the transition I'm going to make at some point here is um, once the channel's doing really good and I can take uh, the see this is the weird thing I I always feel weird talking about this money thing but mm -hmm. when you're doing it full time all of your decisions are basically made around that yes. because you still got to feed your family and you still got to pay your rent and um, the ad revenue dictates so much of what you do mm -hmm. so when you say oh i'm gonna do a shadow run video 
is like, I'll just eat ham and cheese sandwiches for two weeks. Yes. <laughs> and you, you know that going into it. But, um, like, my hope is that the Patreon at some point gets to the point where I don't need to depend on it. And I could take my time with the videos because people always, like, they'll hit me up on uh, the comments and be like, ah, oh, you know, this video would have been better if you would have, like, talked about the ending. And it's like, I don't have time <laughs> to do that. Like, the last video I talked about oh, three God. different characters. Like, I did three different playthroughs. Can you imagine how long that would have taken me to do if I was, like, playing it all the way through? Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to do it. And I got a two-week deadline. I got to do all these videos in two weeks. So, it's it's really tough. Have you but, uh, have you tried using Kofi? Uh, I, think this, I think it's pronounced coffee, but I have no idea. It's K-O-F-I. Um, it's another potential source of revenue where people just give you, like, a tip, basically, of, like, $3 without having to be a subscriber on Patreon. Oh, yeah. No, I um, I've heard of it. I haven't used it at all. I'm. I tell you right now, I'm looking for something different than Streamlabs for streaming because that shit never works. Stream. I'm not familiar it, with Streamlabs. Streamlabs is like what you use for like alerts and donations and all that stuff that you, you use to handle all that stuff. So you know, like when an alert pops up and says you've got a new subscriber. Oh, that thing. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is, and it never works for me. I swear to God, I'll do a whole stream, and I'll have to keep clicking out of the damn game to, like, refresh the window, because it just stops working. Oh, damn. It's like, you've got one job, man. That's your one job, and you can't do it right. Oh, dear. But, uh, Coffee, I've heard of it. Um, I know that, like, digital artists and stuff use that for, uh, you know, getting tips or getting commissions and whatnot. Yeah, it can be good if people want to, you know, throw a few bucks your way, but don't want to, you know, be a subscriber for for whatever reason. Um, so it can be quite handy, yeah. you know, different different strokes, different folks. Um, but yeah, in terms of that streaming stuff, like if you don't shout out somebody in ten seconds when they join, they're gone forever. Like, <laughs> pretty much, <laughs> you got to be on it. Um, hey, you're doing more streaming now. I think you're. I, I think you've noticed that you're doing a bit more recently. Yeah. So like, I I everything is just like, how do we sustain the business because i don't want to lose the business and have to like go back to a real job yeah that's good. well back to <laughs> so the army for you yeah back back to ea yeah, crawl back to your staff um, sergeant <laughs> pick up the badge i uh, i we were, were like okay so how do we how do we kind of leverage twitch to do the footage for the videos that we're making hmm. so so i'll stream now like i'm doing fallout 2 so i'm streaming that so I stream all the gameplay footage that I'll then use in the video that I make. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind that is like you get people in the Twitch chat who tell you to do certain things and then you do it and now it's immortalized in the video and gives people a reason to come and it's just it's just a way for me to leverage two different revenue sources doing the same thing. Yeah. You know. And um do like four hours of that and then I'll write for two hours and then I'll edit for two hours. And that's kind of how I'm approaching it. And, um, it's working out pretty good so far. I mean, I've been able to put out these huge fucking videos every two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's going quite well. And now you also upgraded your Mm. recording studio recently. Uh, well, what did you upgrade exactly? So I, (laughs) I spent way too much money. I, I bought a isolation booth, 
Oh, is that like an actual booth, like a, a box or something in the picture? Yep, yep. It's, uh, uh, I thought it was like a room and I thought you may have uh, put uh, soundproofing on the walls or something. No, no, it's an actual room within a room. It's, uh, oh my it's God. about four foot by six foot uh, long. And um, yeah, it's just solid wood panels with a bunch of soundproof on it. And that's where I am right now talking to you. Um, <laughs> It gets super hot in here. I'm not gonna lie. It's uh, the ventilation oh God, yeah. is not the best. No, it's, it's pretty warm here as well. Not, I'm trapped in a tiny room with no air conditioning, so I don't have any background noise. <laughs> the, the, the pain we go through as artists for for our art. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> have you noticed uh, a big improvement with the the whole setup? Like, is it uh, have you have you has it been noticeable when you listen back to your recordings? You know, getting better sound quality and stuff from this booth. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I noticed that, um, well, first off, I, I managed to get my room without the booth uh, pretty soundproofed to the point where I wasn't getting a lot of echoes. Yep. Uh, the problem when you have a six-year-old and a nine-year-old is that they don't know how to shut up. No. <laughs> so I needed an isolation booth where I could do my work and not get distracted and not pick up like when i need to record they don't have to leave the house yes because that's what i was doing for a while <laughs> i was like you guys need to leave yes go, go outside and don't so talk I, to strangers yeah daddy needs to make money goodbye <laughs> now daddy's um, in the box so go away yeah exactly so i can sit in the box and i can do all my work and i don't i don't get distracted and i can record anytime i want so that's always really good because now um i'm finding that i get these i get these ideas as i'm recording things or as I'm editing or as I'm playing as I'm playing and now I can like capitalize on it immediately I don't have to wait to do the bit or whatever um I will say the one thing that I'm really missing is the ability to do those skits those skits were great I I miss them I want to do them again but it's like the it's like I have to ask myself do I sacrifice the quality of the analysis of the video or do I add this skit in there. Yes, bit of bit of comical I, effect. I had, yeah, because I had this had this idea where um, you remember Joe Montana football. Uh, let me Google it. I think it kind of vaguely no. rings a bell, but uh, carry on while I'm while asking I... a Canadian. I'm asking a Canadian about American football. I'm kind I know, of. I'm um, British. So, British, yeah, too. but I got no idea. A British person who lives in Canada about American football. <laughs> yeah, it's like doubly stupid. All, all um, I know is the Packers because <laughs> I went to uh, um, Wisconsin to visit a friend, and I'm a, they they gave me like a Packers uh, neck chain and some cards and a hat. So I'm officially a Packers fan. Shove it all down your throat. Just shove it all down your throat. <laughs> that, um, that's my allegiance. Well, okay. So EA put out uh, John Madden. But they also had another company on the side called Blue Sky Mm -hmm. who put out Madden and uh, or not Madden, uh, Joe Montana's football. And that was for Sega Genesis. Mm -hmm. So you got these two competing titles. Right. And I I was thinking about it and I was like, I was like, what if I did a skit where it's like Fallout, California, Fallout, New Vegas, Fallout, Miami. But I just did Fallout, Montana. (laughs) And the big reveal is that it's Joe Montana. And he goes, hi, I'm Joe Montana. Or no, uh, hi, I'm being told that my name is Joe Montana. And I don't know where the hell I am right now. And I just play him up as like, you know, like a punch drunk dude who's just too old to remember his own name. (laughs) And, And I was trying to do it in the Fallout 4 engine. And man, not fun. 
Not fun mm-hmm. doing Machinima and Fallout 4, no. I just, I couldn't get it done in time. I was so upset. Oh, dear. I was like, do I delay the video for this dumbass... For Joe Montana. This, yeah, for this dumbass skit? No, I can't do that. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and when you're researching the topics of your videos, um, uh, for example, uh, the surprise mechanics of addiction with... Um, uh, loot boxes. Have you ever noticed yourself changing in any way or your perceptions changing about things from the research that you've done? Oh yeah, absolutely. I previously held beliefs kind of just melt away. I, I find myself more accepting of new ideas now because I mean, <laughs> I have to be, yeah. the, the research is all there. And if I'm, and if I'm doing the research and I'm seeing the data points, I, I can either just sit there and go, no, 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 I can't hear you or I can accept it. Yes. I'm in and, my box. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the <laughs> surprise mechanics of addiction, man, that was like, that was four books worth of research just on that topic alone, mm. just on the topic of, uh, expert intuition. Yeah. And, uh, you've got blink, which is a book by Malcolm McDowell, I believe is his name. And then you've got the Kenneman book, which I can't remember the name of it now, uh, The Power of Habit, and like one other book about habit and um, how the brain works to create um, myelin on a certain uh, neural pathways for things that you're doing often and how all that works together to create bias and addiction and habit and why once a thing is a habit, real fucking hard to break Mm -hmm. because you've already trained your brain to do it for so long. And, um, you know, funny story, my kids have just started playing Fortnite. Okay. And, and I don't know why originally I was so against it because I I was like telling my, my wife now who is now my wife. Yes. I said, uh, (laughs) I said, you know, I don't think we should be letting them play this game. And she was like, why? I was just like, well, it's got loot boxes and I know they're not going to buy the loot boxes, but I just, there's just something about it that I can't quite put my finger on that I'm not happy with them doing. Mm -hmm. And what it was, was that they were getting addicted to it. So addicted to it. In fact, that when we tried to have them do anything, but play that they got awful as people, they just became awful human beings. And, um, it's that, that dopamine scheduling that it plays havoc on a little kid's brain, which is why no kids should be playing these fucking games. They shouldn't be. It plays havoc with their neural pathways. It creates habits that no child should have. Uh, gambling addiction, all this stuff, it doesn't surprise me that it, it went up in recent years. It makes sense. We're training these kids from childhood to pull on that handle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And are they still allowed to play Fortnite or is that uh, off no, the table? No, we, no. I, I took them off all their, their switches. I took them off. And do they play any games at all anymore? Is it kind of like, okay, you've got to wait a few years before we jump into well, this? Well, uh, we kind of make them earn game time. And when they earn it, then they can play as long as they want. They can play on their Switch. But the minute they, they fuck up, we're right there on them. Give me yeah. that shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, my dad does the same thing. <laughs> got to yeah. do the dishes or else <laughs> no game time for me. 
No, really? <laughs> <laughs> Still, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've worried about my neural pathways. Uh, it's very considerate. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely worry about it because I've seen just what it does to them, uh, just in how they get aggressive and how aggressive they get with each other and how they get aggressive with us. Yeah. And we're just like, yeah, I'm not having any of that shit. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> not happening to me. I had a friend who was like that who... Uh, um, Lovely guy. He's one of my, a really good friend of mine. Uh, you know, really nice dude. Um, very considerate. But just when he plays games, he gets angry. <laughs> and it's like, it's mm-hmm. like if he's losing for whatever reason, and I just leave the game and be like, okay, I'm, I'm going. <laughs> I'll play single player for a bit because. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I've lost friends over that kind of shit where they're they're just they're losing their ever loving mind over a game, mm. and they're like screaming at you because, oh, you should have got that Genji, you asshole. It's like, fuck you, man. This is a game. <laughs> you ruined it. <laughs> you act like I took two inches off of your dick. Yes. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> See, exactly. Another reason why you got to make that video. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's all coming full circle. <laughs> and um, a few years ago, uh, I, was, I, was, I was watching your video about the Outer Wilds and... Um, you were talking about an experience you had uh, with heart surgery. Uh, oh, that wasn't a few years ago. That was oh, a few months ago. A few ago. months ago. I'm sorry. Um, and uh, how, <laughs> yeah. how are you? How are you doing now? Is that is that cleared up? Are you still recovering? Dude, I feel like a 20 year old. It's crazy. Oh, I, really? Nice. Yeah. I so I had Kawasaki's disease, and um, it ballooned uh, the two main arteries off of my heart, and I never knew any of this stuff. I just knew I had Kawasaki's disease. I had no idea what the hell that meant. Yeah. Right. Until I got older and I started having this really weird chest pain that would never go away. And it would happen if I just like would walk 20 or 30 feet and uh, I would throw up all the time. I mean, I was like vomiting. I would like walk down a street and I wouldn't get more than half the block down before I would vomit Mm. in the middle of the fucking street. It was awful. And um, my she was my girlfriend at the time. She was like, okay, you are having heart failure. And I was like, how do you know this? He's like, my dad went through the same exact thing. So we went to the doctor. Uh, I went to so many doctors. I had to, because every one of them was giving me Wellbutrin, stress medication, anti-anxiety medication. She was like, it's all in your mind. There's nothing wrong with you. You're 40 years old. There's nothing wrong with you. I'm like, bro, there's something fucking wrong with me, yes. motherfucker. This is not in my head. Walking doesn't stress me. <laughs> yeah, that's not a stressful activity. Yeah. Um, so eventually I went to this cardiologist and he started saying the same shit. And I was like, okay, babe, what do we do? She's like, go to the hospital right now and tell him you're having chest pains. So we went to the hospital, told him we were having chest pains, and they admitted me right away and then did a um, – a cath, which is where they go up through your leg, up into your heart, and shoot dye into it. Okay. And then they, they can see the arteries, and they were like, yep, there it is. There's those two arteries that are fucked up. Oh, God. And uh, they're like, okay, well, the only uh, choice that we had, because usually when they're in there, they can do a stint, and they can put the um, the heart cath through your artery, and they can stint the um, occlusion mm. and make it wider so you're not feeling chest pains are they effective though i've heard that they may not be great stints they're not great no No. No, because like in like 10 or 15 years you got to go back in and get cracked open again yeah um 
they uh, they were like, we have no choice. You're about 99% occluded. So we have to go in and do a bypass, double bypass. And uh, I found out through this whole process that the reason it was like this is that my mom was given a choice when I was uh, three years old. They were like, we can open him up right now and we can uh, do the bypass now. But every five years, you'll have to bring him in to do it again. Or you can feed him a lot of cheese and a lot of fatty foods and start to occlude it so that the aneurysm doesn't get big and explode. And then at some point when he's 25, he'll probably have a heart attack. So God, I didn't know. I didn't know any of this shit. Jesus. Um, but I mean, cause I was such an active person and was never really the, uh, fat schlub that I am now, uh, because <laughs> yes. of this heart disease. Like, I mean, I was literally unable to work out for like two years cause of this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, it took me until forty to have any really ill effects, but when I think about it, I've been feeling these effects probably for about twelve years because I haven't been exactly top notch shape. Like I I was I, I remember there was a time when I was working out four or five hours a day, and I was unable to get below one eighty, and I couldn't figure out why, and now. Dude, I'm like, I'm faster, stronger, and in better health than I've been probably since I was in my 20s. Damn. That's, that's yeah. incredible to hear. And yeah. are, you, are you still able to, to like work out now? Or is it because once you've had this surgery, you have to kind of keep it, uh, keep it easy for the next few years or for the rest of your life? Or are you kind of back to normal and you can jump around and do what you want? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm back to normal, basically. Like, my sternum was the biggest part that needed to heal because they literally saw you open. Oh, jeez. So that, that bone had to heal. And now that that's healed and I don't feel the pain there anymore, I can go back and, like, you know, hit the heavy bag and whatever. Yeah, to And jump do off actual trees. exercise. Yeah. Oh, I ain't going to be doing that shit yeah. anytime soon. <laughs> just for fun. Not for stunts, just for fun. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm over that point in my life. <laughs> I don't know. Once you have like a taste of your own mortality, you kind of go, eh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. I'm a good. Bit of perspective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, one of the, uh, the, um, episodes you did a few videos, the more journalistic style of things, uh, was the problems for education, problematic education. After, yeah. after you did your research on that and the, the, the things you found out for that video, what do you think the solution to those problems in the educational system in the U.S. Uh, is? What, what, what could they do to alleviate these problems? Well, um, so as you can imagine, there's not just one problem. There's, no, yeah, I mean, there's so many mm-hmm. um, because the nature of the way we do business here is that we pile on regulation after regulation after regulation to the point where the, navigating the laws is like trying to untangle uh, fucking Christmas lights. Yeah. And um, with the school system the way it is right now is you've got kid, you got okay. What specific problem? How about that? Let's tackle it from that. So, what specific problem do you mean? Uh, so, I suppose one problem that's uh, kind of 
in the public eye right now, I suppose, as a way of phrasing it, is, um, say, funding for uh, black Americans compared to uh, more affluent white Americans for educational funding for their children, uh, something like that. Right. So the reason that happens is that all of the money gets pulled into districts, and then these districts decide where that money goes. Uh, schools that go charter don't have that problem because all the money goes directly to the charter, and they spend it however they want. I'll do you one better. I actually hinted at it in the very first video when Thomas Sowell was talking. The voucher program that he has always been a huge proponent of, I think, can solve quite a few problems. Not to mention the uh, desegregation. It can it can solve segregation, which is what it is right now. Let's face it; like schools are highly segregated right now. Yeah, yeah and that's all because of. It's all because of districting and gerrymandering and shit and uh, rich people wanting to not be around poor people. Yes. Imagine that. Um, <clears throat> vouchers can fix that because then those kids can then move around to other schools as long as the parents have a way to get them there. In California, for instance, uh, kids used to take public transportation to their schools because they didn't want to go to the school that was in their district. They went on a bus and, you know walked a couple of blocks to the school. And I know that that's not the best solution to their problem, but it's a better solution than having to go to the schools that are in some of those neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Um, The other problem that it solves is that you now have a choice. You could go to that school down the street or you can go to another school. Right now in many states, these people don't have any choice. They have to go to the school that the, the county or the district assigns them, and that's it. They don't have school choice. Mm. With a voucher program, it also makes the schools competitive. So the schools have to compete with each other for students. So that means a lot of schools in inner cities that are already struggling are going to get shut down. They're already going to get shut down, actually, as it is with the system that's currently in place. They don't really stand a chance. They're just kind of limping along. Meanwhile, the kids that are going to those schools are suffering because their education is absolute dog shit tier hmm. um and it's it's the school's fault because they're do, they have to do things because they're so broke at this point they have to do things like print out uh pages from a book instead of giving them a book yeah god yeah like some of the the schools in detroit for instance are so bad that i don't know how anybody comes out of that with an education no no i i think no. the the american system is um those issues are much more apparent in the American system, say, somewhere like the UK. Uh, you know, we do have our problems as well, obviously. Uh, but it no. seems like in America, it's just so... You have these extremely poor schools, uh, mostly, say, black Americans. And there's that segregation, as you say. And it just seems incredible, like, what like what they have to go through. Sometimes you see pictures of um, uh, them being metal detectors at schools, like, because people are bringing mm-hmm. guns. Like, it's unfathomable. I can't even imagine something like that happening. Uh, well, yeah, and then you got the gun problem, right? But that's yeah. uh, apparently that's not a problem. Uh, no, <laughs> they don't have you, enough guns. <laughs> we don't have enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the 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 problem is is that we need more. We need more to protect people because you know a, a bullet was never fired from a knife. I guess I don't. Know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know I. So okay, so the voucher program can fix quite a few problems in terms of funding. But then you still have a problem with the curriculum. And um, as I kind of hinted on in the indoctrination episode of that that series, 
that is that is the far worse problem. Oh, it seemed bad to me because we, I think, in science and math, we're thirtieth in the world. God, you know, okay. we're like number one for wealth, but thirtieth in the world for math and science. How the hell does that work? Yeah. <laughs> you know, how do you how do you train a, a society? of people to be the world's next, you know, scientists and engineers if they can't do math. If if Bosnia is ahead of us yes, in math. Yes, damn Bosnia. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> a country whose GDP is half our GDP has a better education system than us? That's insane. Crazy. Or like uh, the clip in your video of... Um... I, I forgot the name of the, the person doing this, but he was like, uh, request to change the uh, the word uh, hip-hop to country music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, those are two, two interchangeable fucking words for the same thing, right? Yeah. Well, it's because they want to erase... They want to erase black people from the teaks as much as they can. And it's the same thing with um, Mexican-American studies as well. They want to they wipe Hispanics from the teaks. They don't want them in there. Um for their own various reasons but i mean if i know anything about the christian right in this country it's it's usually has to do with that it usually has to do something with like white supremacy and the link between them and the christian coalition here in america it seems strange that uh, the u.s education system would not talk about mexican history in some regard at all because it's such a big part of the history well especially in texas like yeah like, are you kidding me? Like, it's like uh, the majority of the students who go to school in Texas schools are Mexican. Hmm. So, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, I, and, and of course, like, you know, I catch a lot of shit for saying that in the video, like in the comments. And it's just like, well, dude, like, tell me where my numbers are fucking wrong. The U.S. Census shows it. You know, the majority of kids that go to schools by a large margin are Hispanic in origin. Mm. So why the hell wouldn't you teach them their own history? Yeah, you're not saying it's a bad thing. It's just a fact, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the, yeah. The, the same thing kind of happens in the UK as well. It's slightly different, but um, there's kind of this, uh, you know, the far left push for equality and equity in that, in that kind of thing. So I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go into that in detail. But um, in the UK, the the, the 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 class and the type of people that are actually performing worse in schools um, are white boys compared to other uh, ethnicities. So, um, uh, like the percentage of white boys that go to university in the UK is the lowest compared to say uh, black girls, black boys, um, Asian uh, kids. But because it's white boys, nobody will talk about it. You know, <laughs> and it's what the data is showing. But uh, people choose to ignore it because. You know, otherwise you seem you come off as, as a racist. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's, that's super strange. Yeah, I mean, and the UK, I can kind of understand that because uh, they have anti-hate laws, and mm. when you have anti-hate laws, you tend to marginalize the people who are often associated with the brunt of the hate. Right. Mm. It's like if, like in this country, white people are pretty much the brunt of the hate being given to black people, to uh, Hispanics in this country, white people are usually to blame yes. for the hate that's being given, yeah. right? Um, so therefore, your voice is minimalized. There's a lot less that you can say than 
um, the oppressed class can, right? Mm -hmm. But that's kind of natural. You kind of expect that. Yes. Because it's in, uh, in a way, it's an overcompensation to compensate for what has happened. Mm. So I, I personally don't see a problem with that because it's like if you if you are a part of the racial majority, you've already been given so much of a privilege over the and I know I'm going to catch so much shit for saying this. It's so hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's just it it seems like it would be common sense. Like if you are if if you're in charge of a company, right? and you and your family own most of the stock in that company, then you get to make decisions for that company, mm -hmm. right? And other people who are a part of your family who don't work for that company, you might give them jobs working in that company, mm. right? Because they're your family, right? Well, it's the same kind of thing. It's just an implicit bias. It's just, you know, if you're, if you're white, you might have an implicit bias towards white people and that's just like kind of how our brains are wired to work it's a survival thing and yeah. people who deny it are in a way they're denying it because they don't want to admit that maybe they've made the same mistake mm. at one point or another oh yeah and there's evidence for it as well i, I forget the specific study but i did read about it where um in the uk they sent off job applications to exactly the same job applications for the same same position and um the one where the name was something like uh muhammad you know someone's name was muhammad and the other right. person was like uh mr smith the the one that was mr smith would get like double the callbacks even if it the exact same um resume uh cv and it, it does you know it does affect people and uh, f for me personally in these type of situations um I think it's South Park really sums up quite well, <laughs> strangely enough, yeah. um, is that there was a scene where uh, um, it was actually about black violence, I believe, um, and uh, Stan was uh, trying to get, um, was trying to apologize to um, to Token uh, about how his dad was behaving uh, for on Wheel right. of Fortune. Um, but the ending kind of summed up where he just said, um, Token, I get it now. I don't get it. And like, yep. you know, that was his summary is like, I don't understand what you're going through because it, I haven't been through it. And it's something that I will never understand. And that's kind of how I feel is like, I know that there are, there are these, uh, these things that are against these certain uh, racial groups in our society, but I haven't experienced it. So it's, it's hard for me to, um, to, to relate to it. So you have to actively think about things that say I'm more privileged for compared to somebody else of a different race. Yeah, and I think it's hard to kind of deny it now at this point. I, there's so much video of it literally happening before people's eyes. I think it's hard to deny it, but people still find a way. They still find a way to, to deny it. And it's, it's like I said, the brain is so um, complex in its uh, ability to create mental barriers to protect the person for whom's whose body it exists in mm, you know yes. <laughs> like like i say in uh, i don't know what video i think it's probably the um the addiction one yep um your mind will come up with all kinds of rationalizations oh no it was in the uh i don't know if you've ever seen any of the ranagies have you seen any of the old ranagie videos uh ranagie um yeah. Not quite sure. I have to, to have to scroll through. I watched most of the video. Oh, Rantaji. Um, 
There's uh, one called Resistance to Change. And it was it's more like the kind of videos I do now where it's mostly comedic, but uh, there was a lot of research done into this specific topic. Well, this one was about Resistance to Change. And um, people's fight or flight instinct literally kicks in when their ideas or beliefs are challenged. Hmm. So when somebody is being told that some belief that they have is wrong and somebody provides evidence for it, the the fight or flight instinct kicks in. Adrenaline overrides the part of your brain that would normally be rational and thinking and you start to come up with rationalizations for why they're wrong. Hmm. And most of the time it sounds ridiculous, but that's what happens to people. The rational part of their brain just turns off and they go into fight or flight mode. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So when you're confronting people with this long held notion that, you know, there is no white privilege or whatever, when you're confronting that and then you show them something that directly contradicts that, they'll wait for evidence to come around to then justify the previously held belief. Like, oh, look, they're rioting now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We knew it was coming. Look what happened. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. See, told you. Yeah, tearing no, down no. statues. Yeah. And it's like, no, idiot. Like, that's happening because they're oppressed. And when you're oppressed long enough, you usually blow up on the nearest thing around you. Like, studies have shown that oppressed minorities in any country usually target themselves. Because oh. it's what's closest. It's an outlet for their anger. You know, it. that's how that works. Because they can't take their anger out on the people who are actually doing it to them. That's why you see, like, so many people just sit around and watch these cops beat the shit out of people in these riots. It's because they, they feel like they can't take their anger out on them. But they could. You outnumber them. Get them. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sitting there watching a the video like, get them. Get them. There's only <laughs> 10 of them. Just take them out, there's man. You can do it. thousands of you. <laughs> yeah, there's like hundreds of you guys. Just fucking get them. <laughs> <laughs> get them. <laughs> because, like, I think at a certain point when you've got police, police are like the military, okay? Mm-hmm. They're told what to do. And they go out and they do it, right? But the problem with police is that they live amongst the people they're supposed to be policing for long enough that they either either develop empathy, which is rare, or they develop um, antipathy? I don't know if I'm using that word right. They develop uh, anger towards that community. Okay. And that's typical. Like, they just develop an anger and a resentment towards the community that they have to, that they have to police because they've seen so many horrible fucking things. Like, imagine what a, a cop has to see on a daily basis. I've heard people – I've heard a story. I don't know if this was in a movie, but it was a true story that they based this on. Okay. I was, I was listening to the director's comments on it. There was a story about a methamphetamine addict who had a baby – And they took the baby out of the sink because they were washing it in the sink and it was crying because it was cold. So they decided to warm the baby up in the microwave. Oh, God. No. Yeah. That's terrible. Jesus Christ. Imagine being a cop fucking stumbling across that. Like, I, I hinted on it in the After War video. 
But those cops have PTSD. Hmm. They have it. And it's untreated because of the nature of being a cop. It is probably the most testosterone-fueled profession out there. You, you can't possibly be any more fucking manly than a cop or a fireman. Yes, yeah. So these guys do not go and get help when they need it. And then they end up blowing up on somebody or they end up quitting or, you know, which is the better choice, of course. <laughs> yes, if you had to pick one of those two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it, it, the and the anger starts to build up so much that, it, you know, it's only a matter of time before they end up killing somebody that didn't deserve it. Yes. Yeah. And look what happens when they do. That's what we're going through right now. Yeah. And, um, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's interesting time to be alive. Uh, I'll say that much. <laughs> well, definitely isn't it? There's definitely no shortage of shit to talk about. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just go on BBC News. That'll be a headline we can we can talk about. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think uh, to finish this up, I had um, one last uh, question for you uh, today. Is I was watching your How to Skyrim video, and you did an amazing impression of Nixon. And I was wondering if you could uh, <laughs> do it again for us <laughs> live on this chat because I laughed so much when when uh, you did that. Let's see. Um, goddamn hippies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can you do the uh, the riddle with phlebitis? Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, and riddled with phlebitis. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God, Dad's in his box. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, thank you so much for coming along and having this chat. I, I've had a wonderful time, um, and uh, everybody yeah, can appreciate it, man. They can find you on Twitter, they can find you on Patreon, they can find you on YouTube, they can find you on Twitch, and uh, maybe Pornhub with your <laughs> next video on uh, coming soon. Yes, yeah. <laughs> coming soon. Coming soon. Soon. How to suck your own dick? <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you so much. All right, man. Thanks. <laughs>